Hello, and welcome to the Flip and Shift podcast. My name is Julie Walls. This podcast was based on the Flip and Shift's tagline, flipping your thinking to then shifting your behavior. The Flip and Shift podcast focuses on temperament to then how we evolve in our thinking to which influences our behaviors. We create belief systems throughout life, which affects the outcomes in our lives. Did you know that you can reprogram these belief systems? to produce the outcomes you so desire. No matter what you're dealing with, there will always be a solution for you. So this podcast should give you some hope. Yay! With each episode, we'll be chatting with leading experts in the field that have overcome struggles of their own. They found their way to overcome areas in their lives that needed focus and are now actually helping others to find their way. We all have a story to share. Let's learn from our past to change our future, and most importantly, inspire and help others along the way. If you are wanting to feel empowered, inspired, and are ready to make those changes in your life, you are subscribed to the right podcast. And hey, thank you so much for your support. Now, grab your favorite drink or snack, turn up the volume, kick back, and enjoy this chat. I'm so excited. We've got Jessica Compton from the Tree of Stars on Tour. It is a foundation that promotes mental health awareness and addiction recovery. Jessica has an online IG live format that interviews musicians, artists, podcasters, and many folks that speak on mental health issues. She is a public speaker and she shares her recovery story as well as provides journaling workshops. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. She's got a couple things coming out here soon for peer support. She helps promote musical performances, art exhibits, and anything that helps support and promotes awareness around mental health. She's really inspiring. She does a whole lot. I don't know how her her work ethic is crazy sick. We will be learning her story and how art and music helped her with healing. Hello, Jessica. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. How are you? Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been stalking you forever. You know that. And I'm very honored that you've been willing and able to come onto my platform. Thank you so much. Such an honor to be here. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm originally from North Bay, Ontario, but I've been in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, probably for about 23 years now. Wow. Okay. So where is that at? As far as in Canada, is it Northeast Um, or West or Central? born in the northern and I'm now down in the southern area oh okay cool just throwing that out there we traveled before COVID hit all throughout Canada because we live about 30 miles south of Glacier so we went up through Banff and all that you know all that area and headed through all the different territories and camped it was super cool you guys live in amazing country yeah, Banff is really beautiful. I am actually heading out to Alberta this summer, so I'll have to dip into those uh, areas that you visited for sure. Oh, for sure. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. All right, so let's get into it. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing, kind of give a little insight to folks on, you know, your just your upbringing and everything. Yeah, yeah so 
On uh, on WordPress, you can find my a little bit of a, a blog there, and I call it the A blog. Uh, everything I've been through: so abandoned, abducted, abused, addict, ADHD, and arrested four times. But to start off in the beginning, you know, I was with my mom and dad. Then they divorced. My mom was getting into the alcohol and the drugs. Different, you know, men in the house. And uh, one night, uh, my sister and I were found under a bed because my mom went out partying, and uh, we were about four or five years old. So CAS came and got us, put us in a foster care system. Then they found my dad. Dad ended up getting custody of us. So he moved us up north. He found a new wife. We lived out in the country. But my dad was a very busy worker. He was an electrician uh, throughout the week and uh, weekends. He was a DJ. So I was raised by his new wife, you know, and I was also living in a, on the reserve in an indigenous community. So even though I was brought up as Christian, living in a different culture, just having a lot of freedom, but not enough TLC. I wasn't taken care of. I was, you know, a lot of spankings. I got soap in the mouth, you know, but I mean, you know, my upbringing, I, I was disciplined, but in different ways, you know, I had to stand in a corner for four hours until I told the truth. I also had behavioral issues because of the layers of trauma. So I was setting fires. I was uh, running away at an early age. So that was kind of my upbringing. But uh, again, going back to the A blog, I was abducted for a couple hours, taken out of my home, you know, sexually assaulted. And then the man that did that had brought me back into the house. So I was very lucky and blessed that I was returned. But that type of a, you know, assault also, you know, and I'm at trigger warning, just I was molested four times. I was raped once. So the, the sexual abuse and the mental abuse, you know, it was, it was all there, different cultures, different religion, just, it was, it was a big mess and I didn't know what was going on. I was, I was so young. So I was put into foster care again in a behavioral house. And um, even at that, I started, you know, wedding to bed you know, running away, temper tantrums at school. I, I, in grade two, I started becoming a bully. That was my upbringing. And then I know there's some more questions that, that come up after about, you know, I mean, just- I could do a whole bunch of conversation just around what you said. Literally. I, I mean, I just wrote down several notes. Number one, I'm assuming that you guys have some form of alcoholism generationally, right? Cause your mom went to that. You have then, you said you divorced between four and five years old. Yeah. So the thing is, is that, you know, divorce is very fascinating and that age is kind of a pivotal starting to really get in that concrete thinking. So what you see is what it is, right? So in, in, in taking all of that, I can't imagine where your brain was at four. You must have felt really lost. There's probably a lot of like, what about me, that little girl in the corner being unheard? Did you feel that way? Absolutely. And I took that out on other people when it came to you know, being in school, I purposely had temper tantrums with teachers so that they would, you know, give me a hug. Are you okay? I would steal kids lunches just because mine was, you know, not so great. So just targeting individuals that were you know, well taken care of and the, their parents love them. And I was like, that's not what I have. And I, and I want to take that away from you because I want that. And, you know, even if a kid came to school with a nice outfit on it and, you know, there was a puddle nearby, I would, you know, and I was spitting on kids. I was, you know, scaring kids. I would just horrible things. Like I was out of control. I didn't know who I was, where I was supposed to be. This continued all the way up to age 21. Yeah. Can I ask you? Okay. So, and we all, and I'm just going to throw that out there. We've all, I will even admittedly say this. I can't cry wolf because I, or I can't cry victim because I've been bullied, but I've also bullied. Right. 
But, and I look back at some of those moments and I think, man, I was so pissed, man. I, I felt so angry. I felt so insecure, you know, and a lot of people, and there's that big bullying awareness out there, but we're not looking on that other end of it, of what the child's dealing with, who is bullying. Right. And do you feel like there was an undertow of just, I'm pissed. I'm angry about my life. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I took it out on, you know, everyone and anyone that was around me, you know, even when I got into the drugs and the alcohol and living on the streets and, and the crime, you know, I used to break into my own family's houses. I used to, you know, harass my grandmother to give me money for my next hit, you know? So yeah, I, I lost all that support. I didn't have any support or, you know, my resources was being incarcerated four times. Every time I got arrested, I got sent away. So, but that was my wake up of recovery because, you know, Every time I got incarcerated, I got clean and I got healthy and I gained, you know, I'd go in at 110 pounds and come out at 130. You know, I had the doctors check me out, make sure I was okay. So yeah, I just, I would have to thank the correctional system. You know, I think it's because of them that I'm alive you were today. For. You, were yeah. paid, you were focused on, and I'm sure, you know, I'm, there's not that layer of like, like a mother would give, but there's a layer of like, I care for you. I want to, you know, I want to get you better. I want to help you eat better, healthier, eat better. You hear about that as far as those folks that are in and then rather go back to jail. You read about that. My last time that I was incarcerated, it was an adult. So I was adult and that held me back. You know, my last charge being 19, it held me back from even so much to this day, I need a waiver to enter the United States. I have, you know, pieces of paper that I have to go into the the customs and they have to, you know, do do all these immigration papers to make sure that, you know, I haven't reoffended. So I pay a thousand dollars every five years to enter the U.S. But no way. So I'm still being consequenced for something I did like 20 years ago. So, but you know, there's always a lesson to be learned here. Yes, there's layers of trauma. Yes, there was therapy, and I've I've paid my my time of doing the crime. But even the types of crimes that I did, you know, I stole a car, I escaped of custody, I assaulted a police officer, you know, I blew up some telephone booths. Like this was me on outrage. Like every time I was released from the correctional facility. It was like, here's a backpack. We hope the best for you and make sure that you check in every Sunday. It was like, that's crazy. Jessica, can I ask you growing up? Did you witness? And, and I'm, I hate to, and I'm going off cuff here, but, and please bear with me. I hope this isn't too sensitive Never. for you. Did you witness abuse and that rage? Cause sometimes we see that and we think, okay, well that gets attention. Did you witness that from mom or dad or anybody in your home that was also kind of raging out? Yeah. With my mom just being physically aggressive, just the individuals that she was in a relationship with, you know, drinking and the, and, and yeah, when you did talk about also the generational piece is that there are, you know, people in my family that have, you know, situations where they have suffered from alcoholism and, you know, pieces of addiction. So I have witnessed that. And I think that, you know, even my father, he was, I guess you could say a high functioning alcoholic, Mm -hmm. high functioning drug user. He kept it clean slate of professionalism. But when the weekends came, like he was, you know, sometimes he was with two or three women in a weekend. Yeah. And I witnessed that. So I think that, you know, when it comes to different types of abuse or narcissist, anything like that, definitely there's all of those pieces there. Yeah. I want to go back a bit though. And I want to get your professional thoughts on this. I mean, there's two things now 
and I, I don't know what your age, you're probably significantly younger than me, but back in the day, the bullying piece really wasn't a significant, people just did it, right? And there was really a consequence of, oh, you're going to go to the principal's office if it was caught, right? And now it's really on the forefront. It's out there. So my thought is for those individuals like yourself, who would you consider the bully? What do you think needs to happen now? Like in regards to bullying in the school and recognizing it from a trauma standpoint? So just as much as I think it should be zero tolerance, I definitely think like a track record of data collection to say, okay, this individual is targeting these individuals. But then the other big factor is, you know, we check, we, we do a lot of things in the school, not to put the pressure on school or even just seeking a regular doctor's appointment, but scanning to say, yes, your, your eyes are okay. You know, your ears are fine, but how is your mental health? you know, has this individual. And uh, I think we need to also look at, so I'm on a committee with Voices Against Bullying. They're a Facebook group, great resource. There's uh, you know, bullying specialists that are on our committee. There's also a youth on, on our committee that, you know, had suicide ideation because of, he was bullied. But so our committee on FAB has additional resources, but back to my professional or even personal answer for that is, you know, can we change the name bully to an individual that's struggling with conflict or having to resolve those issues? And what is the consequence? And are we going to follow through with the plan? And where is that plan that that child is seeking? Make it mandatory. When I was arrested for stealing the car, it was mandatory that I went to a recovery center. And I could not miss an appointment. So how about we put the onus on the parents to say, you know what, here's the parents, here's the school, let's work together. And then there's other, the other piece of, of cyberbullying, you know, when do these apps become responsible to say, okay, you know what, you will be charged if that's yes. it, right? I love that you brought that up. Yes, because I feel now in the day and age of technology and everything else, it is so rampant. And on top of that, You know, I do think it's interesting because it's going back to you're still dealing with those consequences from years ago, right? And you're now starting to see people are getting the effects from bullying from, you know, when not Facebook, but what's the other, the other Facebook alternative, MySpace, when somebody was bullying on MySpace or something like that. Yeah, I think the consequence piece is really, it's fascinating. I think you brought up some really interesting points. I think it's amazing. Well, yeah, and yet, today with all the cyberbullying happening. I think when tables are turned too, one of the things that people could do is if you are being bullied and, you know, I was bullied uh, two years ago from a couple teachers. And what I did is I, I kept a journal and I documented, you know, every little thing that they were doing to me. And yeah. now that it's been some time has passed, you know, and there's other situations where I end up going to the police station and I made those reports. I checked in with my doctor and I made sure that I had all of this information to say, you know what, if something else were to happen for my mental health and my wellness is that, yes, you know what, I did bring this up to the principal and it was taken care of. And I did go to the police station and it was taken care of. So be kind. Well, and it's fascinating though, too, Jessica, you've been on the bully side of it. And then you've also been on the bullying side. So you've seen that perspective. Now I want to ask you, looking backwards at your life to those folks that I, I don't want to say inflicted. I mean, that's kind of a strong word, but inflicted pain or, you know, humiliation or whatever. Have you ever considered 
contacting those folks or kind of going through an emotional forgiveness factor piece? What's your thoughts on that? So when uh, it's funny that you talked about MySpace because when Facebook came out, you know, and I don't even know, like I really was mean to a lot of people. Facebook came out. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a great opportunity for me to reach out to these individuals as best as I could remember to apologize to them. And it was, you know, some people blocked me. Some people were like, you don't even know how amazing this feels to know that it wasn't me and it was you. And I was like, I'm sorry, you know, I took my shit out on you. Excuse my language, but okay, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, and 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 even to this day, I still when I pull uh, when I post things about being that bully, you know, I have individuals that say, "Hey, you weren't so nice to me either," and I'm like, "I'm so sorry." But then let's tap in a little bit about the forgiveness, the forgiveness for myself and for other people. Yes, I was put through, you know, a lot of abuse and layers of trauma, but I have to forgive myself and I have to forgive other people because that gives me that internal strength to, to help other people as well. I love that. That's absolutely beautiful. That that's like, gives me chills. I, I appreciate you saying that. I just want to share like a common link here. I know in high school for me and I, in people that know my story a bit, I dealt with trauma, I have PTSD And I look back as I was going through the mental health process of recovery and and working through my PTSD, I started seeing the links of self-worth from incidences that happened in my junior high timeframe and into high school. And I never really thought how it severely impacted my health. And then I look back at it and I think, okay, and maybe you dealt with this as well, but I remember looking back at, and I had to do a deep dive around it. Cause I was like, well, why would something in 11th grade or 10th grade affect me to this day? And, and then I look back at that time frame, and I'd wake up every day with a stomach ache to go to school, or I started getting severe migraines, or I was having constantly going to the doctor during that time. And I never connected the dots. And my mom didn't either, God bless her heart, but she didn't connect the dots that it was what I was dealing with at school. And did you deal with physical symptomology as well from bullying or being bullied? Yeah, I think that, you know, I had the label as a bully. So I had to like hold that. Yeah. And then on the other aspects, being bullied, I think that, you know, I did have you know, my attendance was an issue because I wasn't wanting to come to work. And, you know, the anxiety, I'd get stomach aches because it's like, well, or even just taking a deep breath in five times before I opened the door of a school, you know, that I was working at. So, and then going, okay, is this because I'm different in in different ways and I'm not like other people, you know, especially with my ADHD, sometimes I need, you know, tasks, told to me like three or four times before I get it because I'm unfocused. So yeah, yeah. I think it manifests everybody in everybody differently, but I do think there, like you said, there needs to be more awareness around kids, mental states. You know, if they're constantly going to the doctor and I will say this, my children as well, you know, I start trying to tap into the mental piece of what's going on with you. You know, and when they were in public school, what was coming up for you? Are you, you know, were you feeling overwhelmed at at lunch? That's why you couldn't eat your food. Now you have a stomach ache. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I got a little nervous around my kids have a little bit of social anxiety and things like that coming up. And I think it's important for us as parents and then also as school officials or doctors to recognize the mental piece around it. And especially if there's bullying going on, (laughs) I really think it really affects kids physically. 
Well, and I think like with our school here in Canada, we have surveys, anonymous like surveys. So the students can fill out, you know, where the bullying is happening. And, you know, and parents, they get parents now have that advocacy piece to speak up and say, okay, you said that it was zero tolerance. So, you know, and, and people are dying because of bullying all around the world. So it's, it's definitely a crime and it needs to be taken seriously. I really, honestly, even if somebody's five years old or six years old, you need to stop or they'll know those behaviors and, and check out the mental part of it. Absolutely. Freaking lutely. Now I want to transition a bit and I really appreciate you touching point on the bullying piece. We could have a whole episode talking about bullying. I have a lot of questions for you. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about your personal struggles with addiction. Do you mind going in a little bit of detail about that? Yeah. So the first time I, you know, tapped into trying cigarettes, coffee, you know, it was always surrounded in my household and, you know, alcohol was always around, you know, and I, as I, I yielded around 12, 13, started drinking, started drinking more and then marijuana and then, you know, wanting a little bit like something a bit stronger. You know, I was introduced to LSD, cocaine mushrooms, hash, anything and anything that would give me, you know, a numbness, something that would black me out, something that would make me forget about any kind of hurt inside or any kind of trauma. And it wasn't, you know, days where I ended up on the streets, I would even stay up for three days straight just so that I could get a buzz of not falling asleep. And, you know, because if you're awake for three full days, like you're a mess, there was a group of us and then we would end up sleeping for three days because we were up for three days. So not eating properly, just being really malnourished and just wanting to numb everything, you know? Amazing that you say that because, and you know, I deal with a lot of codependency in my family. I also deal with clients that have some codependency issues and especially with chemical codependency or emotional codependency, there is that numbness factor. So what I found with the numbness factor and the English language is so vast and what the meaning around numbness really is, is anger. If you unpeel the numbness, what's about it? You know, a lot of people say, I I just feel numb. Or whenever I'm around this particular person, I just kind of go numb and I just sit there or the alcohol when I'm around people and I'm feeling very anxious or whatever, it numbs me. So I don't feel that way. And then if we dig deeper, there's some anger around it, judgment, right? Did you find that as well? Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know if it was just back in the day, but every time I got arrested, it was like, here she goes again, you know, and it, it wasn't the crime that I did. It was, you know, me being influenced by drugs and alcohol and then doing the crime so it was like I kept saying this the quote I guess or my speech of this would be like it wasn't me it was the drugs yeah right because if I was sober or clean I I wouldn't do that you know I wouldn't just hop into a car with uh you know two hundred dollars worth drugs on me in a car that I stole I was like that that wasn't me it was the drugs right so I think by the fourth charge that's why the courts had said she needs to go to rehab. So they gave me a choice. They actually said, you know, do you want to do three months in adult or do you want to do six months in rehab? So it was like, I did the rehab. You did. Wow. I did the rehab. But that's not to say that it didn't close the doors. You know, I ended up finishing high school and going to college, you know, and, and then there was the drinking again, not so much of drugs, but there was a lot of drinking in college, you know, and I still had the years of probation that I had to finish. It wasn't just 
hey, you did your time. It was like, okay, well, now you have this many years of probation. So it's like I was always being watched and I had to be very careful. But I ended up going to school to be a jail guard. And wow, I know. I I graduated to be a jail guard. But even with the college, they said, you know, you're not supposed to be in this program. And I said, well, you didn't do a clearance check. So that's not my problem. I already paid the money and here I am. So you're going to have to help me. So I had to advocate my way through. I succeeded. And yeah, I mean, I worked in, I guess this goes to other questions or whatnot, but I ended up, you know, staying clean, working 15 years in a group home at the same agency with 10 aggressive boys, six aggressive girls. And then, yeah. Real quick, can I ask you a question? I've got two questions actually. And and I'm going to go back to my first question. But I want to focus on this. So when you became a jail guard, did you find that you were like, start having light bulb moments because you were witnessing it from a different vantage point? You were witnessing these kids, right? Because you were a juvenile jail guard, right? I worked in like a group home where there was 10 kids. So it was kind of considered as like an open custody. So there was amazing moments where I helped these children through my own experience, not so much of the education, but even while going through the education to be a jail guard, it was like talking about case management. I knew the system. So when I was doing my tests, you know, when it came to exams, I was like, I didn't really have to study because I'm like been there, done that. And then, you know, when there was, um, That's amazing. Yeah, even just yeah. The, so some of the studies. I just, I was like, I know the Young Offenders Act, and I know, yeah, I knew the system, right? So but to me, yeah. it then, did it kind of start? And I want to say light bulb moments. So not only are you witnessing it from a different vantage point, were you clean at this point? In college, I was drinking, smoking a bit of marijuana, but I wasn't touching anything that chemical, like you know, cocaine or anything like that. I mean, my main focus, and there was a lot of you know, there was a very good focus for me. I was, I was controlling the, you know, yes, I partied a little bit with the alcohol, but it wasn't, I was more into the hard drugs and not to say that even today I can, I can have a glass of wine and and I'll be fine. But you know, cocaine, LSD, you know, there was moments where I thought I was going to die, you know, friends of mine sticking fingers down their throat because they thought I was going to overdose. So in college there was moments, but then, you know, then this drug came around ecstasy. So when I was in college, I, I did, you know, tap into doing some ecstasy. So I wasn't fully recovered. I wasn't ready to be clean, I guess you could say. Right, right. So this is during the time when you were a jail guard, right? But you were starting to kind of evolve. Let me ask you this. This is my other question. Because I know parents are tuning in and listening to you and they've got kids that are starting to dabble, right? And go down that road. How much do you think it is to be around like-minded other kids that are doing that crap, right? Like how much do you think that is also a part of it? So like-mindedness attracts like-mindedness. Yeah, it's almost like if you're a yoga instructor, you're going to want to surround yourself with a bunch of yoga instructors and people that are like-minded, So I think when it's coming down to it, you know, if you're an individual suffering from trauma, but then again, not to say that just because I've, I've experienced trauma, I don't have to do drugs or drinking, but I wanted that numbness. Now, if you have somebody else that has grown up in, in a nice safe home, but you know, they're into sports and they try it, you know, I mean, if they try it and they like it and they want more and more then that path is, you know, sometimes not a choice. Yeah, I get that. Now, I just want to go back to what you said. I always write notes down. So notice that I'm 
I'm doing that. So when you said like-mindedness likes trauma, that's very, very, I'm trying to find a link here, but I noticed folks that I work with and then myself, I was always leaning towards trauma focused people, but they never had the solution, right? So we'd always kind of just commiserate together and talk about trauma. And I want to ask you how you kind of evolved away from that, from those types of people that were doing the drugs and things like that, because it never seemed to probably go anywhere, right? And they're doing the same thing. How did you then start transitioning over into the healing piece to this? And now I want to disclaim this, and you can state this as well. Addicts, chemical dependency, emotional codependency folks, okay? You never are recovered, right? You're never like, it doesn't affect me anymore. You're always going to need to be in that awareness state. You're always going to be proactive. So Jessica and I are never like, oh, this doesn't affect me anymore. We always have to continue to be mindful of everything that we're doing, right? So how did you transition into that awareness state of, oh my gosh, I've got a problem. This isn't getting better. I'm hanging around with these people that are never going anywhere. What was the process there for you? So I just, uh, I'm going to have to go back to my my past for a moment. There was a social worker friend of mine because she was my maid of honor. She ended up being my best friend, my maid of honor. Awesome. So she closed my case. I know professionally that's not to happen, but this was years and years ago. She was like a mom to me. She took me in her house, you know, and I asked her, I was like, you know, can I have a drink with you? And she goes, no, because I don't want to base our friendship over alcohol. So those moments where, you know, even though I wasn't in therapy, she was like my best friend. And she told me moments like this. So every time I went to go to connect with somebody, I'm like, you know, if they wanted to roll a joint or if they wanted to have a drink, I'm like, I don't want to always have this connection with, you know, people and drinking. So I think for me, taking a step back, I started getting into fitness, started getting into wellness and what I was eating, not to say the least, I guess women in, or sorry, like myself in recovery, like you said, we're always in recovery. So I think having our toolkit always handy, knowing our resources, but the other pieces, I think just being aware of any kind of triggers and when I say triggers, it's like, if somebody passes away, I want to drink. If somebody does this or this happens in my life, I want to drink. Why do I want to drink or do drugs? So it's being aware, but yes, I think that, you know, I've had a couple relapses and I'm okay to this day, but I think, you know, I went to Jamaica on my 40th birthday, drank for a week, came back and I still wanted to drink and I'm like, but I'm, I'm supposed to be in, in recovery. Like I'm not, So I think moments, it's moments where are you in control of your life and do you need to call somebody? What's your resources and what's your own personal strategy? Yes. You need to go reach out to somebody and and forever have a sponsor, you know, however, however you make your big plan, like it's a business plan, make your plan so that it's solid. And for the rest of your life, because nobody's going to live this life sober or in recovery for you, except for yourself. And that all equals to self-care. hundred percent. Now I got to ask you, this is going to go off on a tangent and we can yeah. always do another live on this because I think it's freaking fascinating. But Demi Lovato came out on, do you, you know who I'm talking about? She's nope. a musician. And she's been in and out of recovery several times now. And she just did an interview about the idea that she chooses her form of sobriety. And so what she said was, which I thought was really fascinating. And I want to get your input on this. 
but she said that a lot of folks that are trying to go into recovery cold turkey, right? She says, I don't believe in that strategy. I've done that. I've been there, done that. And I'm misquoting her. So just, I'm kind of summarizing, but she said, I choose to have a drink or two and manage it. And I thought that's an interesting perspective on recovery because she said, I found cold turkey. I always failed. Do you think that her strategy of saying, okay, it's okay. Because what my thinking is, is if you got to be mindful of triggers, but if you're not mindful of triggers, you could go on a binge. She is saying, well, if I'm in moderation, I'm a sober moderate. What's your thoughts on that? So I think that everybody is individual. Everybody's a different human being. But I know that if somebody were to put ecstasy in front of me, you know, it's going to be a weak moment for me, even though it's been 20 years since I've touched it. I'd be like, oh, that looks really good. Like a yummy steak off the barbecue. Sorry if you're vegan, but you're missing out. (laughs) Maybe you're not. But I just think that everybody's different. And, you know, even when we talk about self-care, everybody's self-care looks different. You might take a two baths in a day or take five walks. Whereas somebody, you know, it's just to get out of bed and brush your teeth and take a five minute walk and hug a tree. So I think when we're looking at recovery, everybody's different. So what works for you may not work for me, but yes, you know, if there is recovery programs and there are different recovery programs, you know, and probably more being developed as we speak, even with, you know, the world changing so quickly, right? It's fascinating because I do think folks and Dax Shepard talked a little bit about this on his podcast about three months ago. And he talked about how he relapsed again. And he said, there's such a failure component to it. I mean, he said, and then I go through that deep, dark depression. And I was like, yeah, that would be difficult, you know, especially since it's so tempting. I mean, I like candy. Like if you're going to put a bowl of Skittles in front of me, it will be really freaking hard for me to walk past it. Okay. But, you know, and he said the same thing, you know, he was addicted to pain medications and he said, you know, and I got into a bike accident and the next thing you know, they're giving me pain medications, right? He said, instead of taking one or two, I started taking 10. And then I had this failure component to it because I am an addict and I'm trying to, you know, walk the walk. And then here I am bombing it. And then there's a failure piece to this. And he said, it just, it took me to an even darker place. So this is my personal opinion on it. Like you said, everybody needs to customize it to themselves. Right. And I yeah. think, that, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, I smoked cigarettes from age 12 all the way up until about four years ago. And I'm going to take cigarettes because cigarettes was almost like my sense of security for everything I've been through. Cigarettes was the last thing that I let go of and including one coffee a day, but, and you know, coffee can be addicting. But so for me, if I know that I love coffee so much and I'm aware that I only can have one cup a day, you know, for my health, or even like cigarettes, if I know that I don't smoke because I want to walk better or do better. So the question is, addict or not, trauma or not, do you want to help yourself? You have the choice to help yourself. If you are on the streets, you know, living the life of shelter to shelter, the resources are there. And they're international right now because we're all viral. So the question is, do you want to help yourself? 
And are you ready? Right. So I think that, you know, in recovery or not, trauma or not, that is the question. And, and, you know, I think the one thing that, you know, you were talking about, and I kind of, maybe I I missed my thought here for a second, but I, and I, I relate it with cigarettes, but I think for me, when I go through Tim Hortons and the person in front of me and they're smoking and they're getting a coffee and the smoke goes into my Jeep and I'm like, that's so disgusting. Why does this person have to smoke? But at the same time, I have the choice to roll up my window. And then now when I get to the drive-thru, I roll down my window, but I get annoyed by the the cigarette smoke. But, or do I look back four years ago when I was smoking cigarettes, I'm, I'm complaining that I can't walk up three flights of stairs because I'm out of breath. Well, I'm out of breath because I'm smoking. So do I have the choice to quit smoking and go cold turkey? I absolutely did. Are people different than other people and and struggles? Absolutely. We're all just human as well. And we're not perfect. And we are going to make mistakes and struggle. And that's okay. I'm so impressed by your awareness. It's like this acute awareness in every aspect of your life. It's really impressive. You can see it on screen. Like how you just said that. It just tells me that you're in constant state of, I have a choice of my life, how I want to respond to my life. If every aspect you worked on that piece, probably down to the root core. Right. And you know what, again, this is with our life. So say, I guess the second lockdown when I was teaching online, you know, I'm all about wellness and health and whatnot, but I was a little close to my fridge for my liking, you know, gaining some weight. I call it the pandemic chubbies and that's okay. But uh, here we are today where you can, again, I have that choice. So yeah, I am a little bit more mindful now, not to say that life is a roller coaster because life is a roller coaster. We are going to go up and we're going to go down, but what we do with that down, what we do with that down is up to us. So if I'm in the middle of a pandemic and I'm close to my fridge and it's what I choose to put in my fridge, it's what I choose to put in my body. But again, you know what? My heart goes out to so many people that they hit rock bottom and then they hit another rock bottom and then it's too late. So there's resources out there. I love that. I think you just gave a hope rope. Good job. Thank you. Now I got to ask you, so with your, you started going into recovery, how did music, how did the, your photography, you do brilliant photography. I love your rough landscapes. Like they're really cool. So you and your girlfriend were just somewhere and you took some cool rustic type, like kind of like dirty, right? That (laughs) dirty look. I think that's cool. So did that help you with healing and did it help kind of calm the inner Jessica. Yeah, I think that, you know, my, like I said, my dad was a DJ, so I was always surrounded by music and, you know, thank you Spotify for letting us stream the world, you know, (laughs) just being surrounded by things like Bob Marley, or if it was, you know, I heard stuff like Patsy Cline, you know, all the way up to like Nirvana and Cyndi Lauper. So I've been surrounded by all of that stuff. But I think with music, you know, when I quit smoking four years ago, I bought a guitar. I had no idea how to play guitar. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take my smoking money, and I'm going to go buy a guitar. So now that I have a guitar, that's worth $1,000. I can't afford to smoke this year. So it was like, I need to learn how to play guitar. So I just 
for four years I've been you know teaching myself and so that's the music aspect and then also just helping musicians locally going to their events and then you know I helped with CD release parties I also released an album I had 13 different female musicians lend me a song the album is on Spotify all funds 100% go to the Youth Wellness Center down in Hamilton on James Street so that I funded I developed I did the photography for that and thank you to all the musicians that were a part of that and still to this day doing amazing things out in the community and then with the uh, photography yeah I've always loved taking pictures but I think with my layers of trauma and all the dark stuff that I've been through when I look at an abandoned house you know when I and I look at you know, how can this be somebody's home? Well, inside that home that's abandoned, there's a story inside that home. You know, I also went on a, a tour to a prison and I took pictures of jail cells. And so when I was arrested, right? So I utilize my photos as a part of or a way to express my story and my emotions, right? I love it. So, okay, the Tree of Stars and it on Instagram, it's Tree of Stars on tour. And I posted all of Jessica's information in the summary piece so you can connect with her but I want you to talk to the folks and tell them all your services because I know you've got a volunteer committee I mean you've got all sorts of things happening so kind of speak to that so people know how to connect with you and get involved with you okay so I'm going to talk about my social media platforms really quickly about which one does what so if you go onto YouTube tree of stars that shows my past events that I've had and my current uh, public speaking it's kind of just a timeline just to check into things that I have done and doing like hugging events and then if you go over to TikTok I go live just for t- different generations to do a check-in reach out to the younger generation which is you and me right <laughs> I, I'm very I'm young I'm so yeah. young <laughs> 25 we're So with TikTok, I go live from Monday to Friday, 7.30 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, and then again at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, just for 10 minutes to check in with people. So I go live over there. And on Instagram, I've been over there doing live interviews. I call them wellness interviews with musicians, paying them gigs to play two or three songs on my Instagram every Saturday and Sunday. I've interviewed over 300 individuals. And what I did is I created a Spotify playlist to have those musicians kind of just all in one playlist so that I can promote them there as well. So, so this is musicians, right? Or are these the interviews that you do? So I interview musicians and then okay. I also try to get them to play two or three songs with Wi-Fi. It doesn't give them the justice of what it could sound like. So that's why I have them on Spotify and Instagram. But every Saturday and Sunday on Instagram, I'm live. Right now I'm booked all the way up till September. I've got two to six people every weekend if it's an artist and, and even a resource internationally so that has to do with music or any kind of mental health or addiction and I can do a shout out to all to them but probably don't have enough time but to, and, and anybody that is watching like I can connect you with those places uh, just send me a DM and I'm pretty active on Instagram there but currently I am working with different organizations so that I can hop up on their screen and do journal and music workshops so I prompt people what to write about and then we talk about what we wrote about so I'll prompt topics like bullying suicide like let's dig deep and let's talk about it and then yeah I mean I just I want to open the can of worms and and you know I look at triggers as like you know what our triggers are our strength so basically I want to open everybody's can of worms and and let's talk about it right and uh, be real and raw I love it I mean and okay so here's my question for you how do people if they want to do the journal prompts right and and connect with you is the best way to do it if they want to get on the list there, I'm sure there's a huge waiting list. Is it tree of stars on tour at gmail.com? 
Yeah, anybody that wants to even internationally, globally want to like volunteer with me. I also have a, a, a volunteer committee that I'm putting together, but just wait on Instagram or Facebook or even email me, triastarsontour at gmail.com. But in the next week or so, I'm just, I'm not doing a journal music workshop anywhere on my platforms. I'm doing it through other organizations. So I'm um, going on their platforms and doing it. So, but everyone is welcome. So a lot of non profit places out there with a lot of people struggling, you know, we're disengaged, we're not connected. So this being said is, you know, it's optional to be on screen, it's optional to share, it's optional, even if you don't want to write or, you know, there's some people with disabilities, you can even draw or you can just sit and listen and be there because you know, we all need to be loved. So just to show up for yourself and self care. I'm insanely impressed. Now I have to ask you and I'm going to ask you this on the live here. Okay. <laughs> I want to collab with you on Clubhouse. Have you ever been on Clubhouse? No, but you would be such an amazing entity on clubhouse and I'm going to bother you <laughs> until we do something. Cause I think he would be awesome. So I just want to throw that at you, but you have so many cool things. I can't get over it. And congratulations on all your sponsorships. Yeah. And you know, with my sponsorships, every sponsorship is different. You know, some help me with purchasing merchandise so that I can give merchandise away. Some sponsorships have given me funds, but I more or less look for, and actually one of my sponsorships has given me, not that I need another job, but I deliver food on Sundays for a couple hours. And so, you know, I work these extra jobs so that I can, you know, give back to the community. I also deliver free produce. You know, it takes me an hour to get there, but I I drive back an hour, but I give bags of free produce to uh, musicians that are locally not doing so well and that need that, that support of healthy foods. I think you're like an angel. (laughs) I think, you know, how you, you, I don't know if there's like a analogy where you like devil turns into an angel kind of thing. I think that's you. I think you've earned your wings to be honest. So thank you. you. But honestly, I just feel like I know what it's like to like, just be through a bunch of shit and try to get out of it. And, you know, to talk about, I was involved in a a documentary and it's called ending the pain. And I talk about my uh, suicide ideation. And uh, that's another thing that's being released in 21 days. It's the second documentary that I'm a part of. So yeah, you know, I know what it's like to stand at a bridge and go, you know what, I've had enough. I'm done and not take that jump and then take a step back and go, Oh my gosh, what do I need to do with my life? Again, going back to what is the plan? Who can I reach out to? And if you don't have anybody reach out to me or even yourself and we'll figure this out, right? There is a way. I think you found your why, what you just said, because we both have very similar situations in regards to suicide. And I found my why because of the hope rope that day that was given to me. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I knew there was a reason why we were going to connect is like-mindedness. So I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I cannot wait to see the documentary. I cannot wait to tune into that. I can't wait to see all the things that you do. I'm buying some of those candles that you put out there. Oh, yeah. So, you know... Well, I was going to say, so what I do is I I try to promote small local businesses. And if they're wanting to sell a product for Tria Stars, they'll give back, like say 10 or 15% to Tria Stars. Sometimes it's only $2, but you know what, for me to promote them. And uh, I mean, even with the candles, I bought five candles. I've already helped them. Right. And now I'm like, so yeah, it just makes the world go round. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy gal and I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. You guys tune in to Jessica on her Facebook handle, which is tree of stars, right? Correct. And then her Instagram handle is at tree of stars on tour. And I posted all that information on my Instagram post. And if you want to message Jessica, you can message her at tree of stars on tour at gmail.com. It's been a an insane honor to me and my pleasure today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And keep shining your lights. I can feel your energy through my phone. I thought it was just the satellites over here, but I any of the lives that I check in on your Instagram and stuff. I like, I instantly get your, uh, your positive energy. So I'm in your face. I'm in your face. That's why. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks you guys for tuning in. You all have a fantastic day and tune in tomorrow with Angie Brown at 12 PM central standard time. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow, what a great episode and a special thank you to our expert today. I hope today's episode inspired you, empowered you, and gave you some hope today. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Cheers, my friend. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, or even share this podcast to someone who needs hope and inspiration. You can connect with me at www.flipinshift.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even Clubhouse at Flip in Shift. Please join me next time for another expert chat or survivor talk. <laughs>